The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, Hyde. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Singer. Stop hiding, Father Corey. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> there you are. Yeah, yeah, Hi, yeah. Father, Father Corey. Boo. so folks remember to like the secrets of doctor who on facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of doctor who retweet us on twitter where we're at sqpn and be sure to leave us comments in both places also want to tell you about another show on the network that you will be sure to enjoy called the secrets of stargate featuring our own father Corey stika and that's been going excellently and if you like Stargate, and you should like Stargate if you haven't even watched it yet, because it is one of the best sci-fi out there, yep. uh, you can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. So we are talking about this 11th Doctor story called Hyde. And Jimmy, could you give us a recap? This week, Doctor Who does the 1982 movie Poltergeist, except it's 1974, and the Doctor and Clara have come to a remote British country home that is being haunted by a ghost. The ghost is being studied by a parapsychologist and a psychic he's brought to help him and who he's not so secretly in love with. The Doctor determines that the ghost is actually a time traveler trapped in a pocket universe, and with the psychic's help, he brings her back to our universe. In the process, the Doctor himself gets stuck in the pocket universe, and it takes the combined efforts of the psychic and Clara, who has finally convinced the TARDIS to trust her, to rescue him. In the end, the Doctor realizes that there's more than one person that needs to be rescued, including a hideous monster that's trapped in the pocket universe and desperately wants to be reunited with his beloved hideous monster in our universe. And he ultimately saves the day, the end. So, Jimmy, I, I this this one is right up your alley, right? This is a Jimmy Higgins Mysterious uh, World episode. This is this is <laughs> remarkably up my alley. I just recently uh, I have been reading a lot about the investigation of uh, apparitions and poltergeists and hauntings, mm-hmm. and in fact, I'm enrolled in a couple of classes at the Rhine Institute, which is a famous parapsychological institute founded by J.B. Rhine, I'm, I'm like, this semester, I'm taking advanced field studies wow. for how to investigate these things. Upon the successful completion of the course, I would like be qualified to be listed in their directory of ghost hunters, basically. They don't like that term, but paranormal investigators. Cool. And... Throughout this episode, I was ticking off in my head all the bits of realism in this. There is this is this is actually pretty grounded. I mean, it's it's fantastic, but there's lots of this is really how parapsychologists would investigate things like this. Mm -hmm. And and I kept in my head ticking off 
the characteristics of, okay, would this be classified as a haunting or an apparition or a poltergeist? Mm. Because those have technical characteristics that people look for to class it, classify it one way or another. Yeah. And this, this shares elements of all of them. That's pretty cool. I, I have to say, as an aside, I'm looking forward to when you get your, your, uh, as a certificate, I think, as an official, yeah. that will be some interesting episodes of Mysterious World. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one one thing that a lot of people may not realize now, they'll know about like poltergeists, uh, mm-hmm. which is German for noisy ghost, mm-hmm. because poltergeists involve moving object characteristically will involve moving objects and sounds and things like that. Apparition means something a little different than what it does in a Catholic context. It doesn't mean an apparition of a saint. It just means there's a personality manifesting. But the one that would be most surprising to people is the characteristics of hauntings is a seeming absence of a personality that you can interact with. They're compared to like recordings Mm -hmm. of a historical event that just keeps replaying itself. But there's not like a person that you can talk to. And in a lot of ways, this initially seems like a haunting mm-hmm. because the 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 witch of the well or whatever they call her is the spirit that's haunting this house is like always manifesting in the same position. And, you know, like she's always got this outstretched arm and stuff and you and and she always does the same thing and it like just replays itself as an experience. and. And we ultimately learn the reason for that, which is that the the spirit is actually a time traveler in a time travel experiment gone wrong from the future. Mm-hmm. And she's stuck in a universe where time is playing at a slower rate than it is in our universe. So she's like been living throughout the history of the Earth in this parallel universe. But for her, it's been three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I have to point out that the the time in that pocket universe moves at pace of plot, because yes, once of the doctor shows up there, it shifts. Yeah, yeah, it moves at the same pace. Yeah, ish. Except it doesn't end up burning itself out in the three minutes they keep going back to it. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So, uh, but in any event, she then becomes a personality. But originally, it's more like a haunting. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things speaking of haunting, it the the notes on the TARDIS wiki. Uh, says that this is based on the 1959 version of the movie The Haunting of Hill House, which I know has had a recent, very popular remake that's on hmm. Netflix, I think, or something. I'm not a horror movie fan, so I don't yeah. uh, know so much about that. There's another movie that has some similarities to this. It's a 1960s black and white American film just called The Haunting. Mm. And it has some really, for a 1960s black and white film, it's, it's got some really scary stuff in it. Uh, very minimalist, but it, yeah. it, it, there's this scene where you have these, it, it's just riveting where you have these two women who are in this, uh, they've taken shelter in a bedroom together and they hear something coming down the hall and the sound is sort of like footsteps, but it's also sort of mechanical and it's got this rasping, scraping, unidentifiable quality to it. And it gets to the door of their bedroom and the door is wood, but it's got like, you know, panels in it. You know, like it's like a six panel door or something. And it just starts bending into the room with them, the wood. It Mm. just like pulses and it's pulsing with this noise. And you're just going, 
what on earth could that be? Wow. And it's 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 really a, a effective, but um, but that's irrelevant. I just I just <laughs> like that scene. <laughs> so, the, yeah, I mean, this is really a sort of gothic horror story, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. like the Fourth Doctor, we, like we just talked about uh, last time in the Seeds of Doom, uh, where the uh, what was it? The, the the Doctor was in a old. Well, I mean, the Fourth Doctor often in that period of time went to these old manor houses mm-hmm. on you know in england and where it was where strange things were happening and it was sort of a gothic horror sort of thing and that's they really went full horror story style in this one yeah yes. one thing i was thinking is this would be a, a fantastic halloween episode i mean yeah because you know, the halloween ghosts and things that go bump in the night and all that i mean it really kind of plays on a lot of those tropes that we're you know familiar with with a lot of the the not so much horror but you know like the, the halloween type tales yeah I had a tendency to confuse this in my mind with a couple of other episodes of Doctor Who, both from the 12th Doctor's time. I know which ones, yeah. One of them, well, they may, one of them was Deep Breath. Yeah. And that's just because the Doctor says shush in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And and then the other one is Listen. That's what I was where, thinking. Yeah. Where they, which, which was really a... They should have saved the title of this episode, Hide, because it doesn't really, no one's hiding here. People are trapped. That's not the same thing. Yeah. And they should have saved this title and called it something else and then called the the 12th Doctor episode Hide, because it's about the search for a a being that is perfectly adapted to hiding. Is that Mm. the one in the TARDIS? The Listen? No. Listen is where they, Listen is where they use the TARDIS to try to, like, find the unfindable. Okay. That's the one with the big lump in the bed. The big lump in the bed, yes. Yes, that's how I remember it, because that scared the heck out of me when I was, like, when I was a kid. (laughs) Anything like that would scare me. So, um, yeah. What's the other one you were thinking of? No, that's that's the one I was thinking of. I I hadn't thought of Deep Breath, but I was definitely thinking of Listen, and maybe the the one in the TARDIS, which is the... Journey to the Center of the TARDIS? That's next episode. No, no. It's a 12th Doctor Wed where he's on the TARDIS with somebody else who, like, uh, he's alone, but something else is there with him. Hmm. I'm trying to remember what and the name is. it's not Listen. Maybe hmm. it's the same one. Maybe I've got, like, I, I've, uh, I've, I've, I've separated into two episodes, but maybe it's the same episode. Regardless, let's talk about this one, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like you said, it's a dark and stormy night in 1974, as all good ghost stories are. And uh, the two investigators. So there's the one, Professor Alec Palmer, who is apparently a former World War II spy. I think he's got yeah, a yeah. history. And he I does. like I like that. He, they kind of hint at this dark history, although they, they don't do more with it. It's kind of funny. They've kind of created this character, but they don't do much with that in I, this story, well, I think. It may depend on your perspective. I thought they integrated it fairly well. Okay. Because he's... So he's a former British special special operatives agent from World War II, and he did a bunch of stuff that we learn about in dialogue. The doctor talks about his career as a covert operative in World War II, where he was, you know, thwarting various Axis plots and military ventures and stuff. And he killed people, he acknowledges, and he sent people to be killed. You know, he had people, mm-hmm. men and women under his command, apparently, who he would send on one-way missions. And as a result of killing and sending people to be killed, he has survivor's guilt now in a big way. And right. it's preventing him from moving on with his life. 
And so he's got this young psychic woman who he's got to be like 30 years older than. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's in love with him and he's in love with her, but he's so stuck on his survivor's guilt that he's not able to act and move forward with the the romance that's staring him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, she is an empathic psychic, so which is a little ironic because she senses these feelings. But she, I like the fact that they say, you know, because Clara calls her out and says, "Well, you must know how he feels." Then, and she and she says, "No, when you're an empathic psychic, sometimes you project your own yeah. what you, your wish fulfillment, your what you wish right. on the feelings of others, which is kind on, of kind of on cool. the people on on the people you care about." Yeah, and in remote viewing, that's called analytical overlay. Right. This is just the emotional equivalent. Yeah, which is interesting. And, uh, she yeah. should look familiar if you watch Adventure in Space and Time because she was played by Jessica Rain, who played Verity Lambert, the first producer of Doctor oh. Who on oh, Adventure yes. in Space and Time. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's why she looked familiar. Yeah, so the Doctor and Clara show up at the door, uh, posing as inspectors from, quote unquote, the ministry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like from the government in the American context would be, uh, or the bureau. Uh, and it, they've come, it's interesting how they progress emotionally through this episode because they, they start off kind of like on a lark. Hey, we're here to do a ghost hunting thing. I, I love actually the, the dialogue they use in that scene because there's, there's the, they, the professor or major and he's both and yeah. the psychic mm -hmm. Emma Grayling have just had a contact with the ghost and, and they hear this knocking at the door and they're thinking it may be the ghost and he opens it and there's no one there at first. And then the doctor leans out and says, boo. <laughs> yes. And he explains, I'm looking for a ghost. And <laughs> and the professor says, and you are? And Clara leans in and says, Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which wouldn't make which actually would make more sense to them in 1974 than you'd think. Because, you know, Ghostbusters is famously a 1980s movie right? that right. gave us yeah. that phrase in popular culture. But the term Ghostbusters has been around a lot longer. They were also called Ghostbreakers. Mm. And so you will find pre-1980s discussions of Ghostbusters and Ghostbreakers. There was even a, actually a show called Ghostbusters prior to the movie that they had to buy the rights to, the name. Yeah, it was, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it was the Saturday morning cartoon that yeah. starred uh, Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch. Yep. And the character, I, I remember watching that as a kid in the 70s, and the uh, the characters were known, it was two guys and a gorilla. Yep. And 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 they would, they would crack ghost cases. Yeah. And it was a Saturday morning comedy, and their names as characters were Spencer, Tracy, and Kong. And <laughs> Kong was not the gorilla. <laughs> Tracy was the gorilla, and Kong was Forrest Tucker. Yep. <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> yeah. But uh, even before that, you'll find like Ghostbuster, Ghostbreaker movies and stuff like back mm -hmm. in the 40s and things like Interesting. that. Interesting. So the. One of the things I really love was when the doctor gets in and sees all the equipment, the the paranormal investigation equipment, and he likes, oh, I love that, a good switch and flipping the switches. And I could relate because all that old electronic equipment, all that hardware oh, yeah. is so cool. And it's, it is satisfying to flip these switches so and they're just so I don't know. I'm a, I'm a electronics geek, but it's, oh, yeah. no, it's, I'm, it's, I'm with you on that. I, I, you know, it's so something so tactile. 
tactile about, you know, actually, you know, hitting a switch instead of using your remote control or whatever, you know, like yes. the old, uh, the old, uh, audio visual equipment, the old, uh, sound system equipment, you know, where it actually had knobs and switches instead of just a bunch of buttons <laughs> like they do today. Right. Yeah. I'm, I grew up in that period, but I'm much more 21st century. Um, <laughs> I, I, I when I look at that tech, I think, wow, this is really limited. There's not oh, much yeah. you can do with it, and it's very unreliable. Well, I yeah. want a graphical user interface with clickable icons and a touchscreen and <laughs> and and integrated functioning that works reliably. I want I, I want my iPhone to do it. It's a reliable early <laughs> mother box technology. Well, see, that's the thing. I want the functionality. I want my iPhone. But it's just so cool to flip the switches. <laughs> there's a company that sells. Uh, we are way off on tangents today, but there's a company yeah. that sells panels, mock-up panels from the old Apollo capsules that don't do anything, but they're just switches. So just there's a oh, market out there for switches. that sort of thing. Anyway, he he also the doctor also after after geeking out over the tech they've got there, and that is something you find in mm -hmm. uh, paranormal investigations of situations like this. They will try to use technology to document the phenomena right. and be able to study it. Also, he refers to uh, Emma Grayling, the psychic, as non-objective equipment. And actually, <laughs> yeah. that's that's true, too. Um, their paranormal investigators will frequently bring in a psychic or more than one to get their impressions mm. of what they think is going on here. And they'll also bring in magicians to look for hoaxing. Hmm. Right. But we don't have a magician in this episode. No, if you don't consider the doctor a magician. <laughs> Sometimes he acts like what? <laughs> he doesn't have the control needed to be a magician. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not that's this true. doctor. Yeah. So uh, we get the, the background on the ghost. It's been in the house longer than there's been a house. It was called the Witch of the Well. Um, one of the things they said during World War II, American soldiers that were stationed in the house left it offerings of spam along with they found notes. Um, you know, for the love of God, stop screaming, you know, that, which is really yeah. an awesome, creepy, you know, uh, you know, bit to add in there, because that's such a creepy thing The you know, please stop screaming. Um, like you said, she's always in the same pose in photos, which I think is interesting. And then there is a uh, there's a manifestation. The doctor and Clara, therefore, another manifestation. They have this banging the air, the cold air starts, you know, it gets very cold. And this spinning disc starts appears in midair. And then mm -hmm. the ghost comes and says, help me. And uh, although at first she says it backwards. backwards. Yeah. Plah, yep. plah M. And then uh, then it appears on the wall in ghostly script. And that's really cool where he's just standing there and you've got this. It's not brightly lit. It's not dark either, but it's not mm -hmm. brightly lit. And, and on the wallpaper, help me appears in glowing letters and then disappears again. Yeah. And it's it's effectively creepy. Yeah, at one point when he and Clara are off by themselves, he draws a circle, a chalk circle on the floor, which is kind of a like a magical right. working. Doesn't say anything about it, which is interesting. He just draws he's, the circle. He's been he's he's documenting uh, where the cold is, mm -hmm. right? Because he's been stepping back and forth, noticing it getting warmer and colder, and then he draws a chalk circle on the floor to mark the cold spot. Yeah, in the yeah. The, the center of the house, that like this music room is the center of the house, and possibly the center of whatever's going, the phenomena that's going on. And when, as they leave the room, Clara walks across the circle and there's a puff of steam from it that pops up. Pops up. It's very, again, kind of cool. You know, th these little, little notes, these little things that the director added in per perhaps that wasn't in the script. No, 
I'm, I'm trying to remember, but I don't think the, the, the disc that becomes the, the portal ever shows up until the doctor draws the chalk circle. I'm trying to Correct. remember, though. it doesn't. Yeah, so it, that's so you true. Could, you could say the two are connected. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Also, I like, as a character note, so they've been playing with the fact that Clara is different from other companions. Yeah. Like, they've stressed that she will stay when the doctor tells her to stay, unlike every other companion. Hmm. And here, the doctor is like, okay, let's go find this ghost. And she's like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and yeah, how much and she, she, re- she resists going to the music room to find the ghost. And finally, she tells him the way to get her to do it. Dare me to do it. And so he dares her, and that lets her give herself emotional permission to go into the dangerous situation. Yeah, I, that was that's a very interesting character trait. Also, she has no trouble telling the doctor later on, Doctor, I'm a tiny bit terrified. <laughs> yeah. is, you know? yeah. Well, and that's a great moment because they, they're standing up with their backs against, like, the end of a corridor. And she she's saying, Doctor, I don't mind telling you I am a little bit terrified at the moment. At the same time, I'm an adult and there's no need to hold my hand. And then he says, I'm not holding your hand. And he holds his hands up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man, that is scary. <laughs> now, there's another moment. So Emma and Clara kind of connect at, at some point and they're talking. And Emma tells Clara something about that. She says, don't trust the doctor. Because there's a sliver of ice in his heart. Like she has this empathic read on the doctor. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a very interesting, she's, you know, warning Clara off. In, in a sense, as, as fa- Who fans, we know that. I mean, the doctor mm-hmm. is alien and at times he is very cold. And There is also another reason. And, and we know that as, as viewers, as longtime viewers, we know the doctor has this dark side. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't trust him. Right. But you at first think, oh, that's the explanation for what she's picking up on. But no, it's more than that. Yeah. As we find out at the end of the episode, she says to the doctor, you didn't really come here for the ghost, did you? And he's like, no. Why did you come? You came here for me. Why? And it turns out the doctor wants her as an empath to tell him her impressions of Clara mm-hmm. because the doctor still does not trust clara she's she's the impossible girl she's there's these weird things she's seen her die twice is she some kind of trap that one of his enemies has set for him Mm. and so he's he he's been checking her out and this episode the way he checks her out is to take her into the presence of a psychic and let her have an adventure there so her emotions are on display and the psychic can then pick up on what's going on in her heart. And the psychic says, she's an ordinary girl. Hmm. However, apparently the TARDIS has picked up on the doctor's mistrust or distrust oh, yeah. of Clara too. Mm-hmm. Or that something is, yeah. is, is the, has caused the TARDIS to become hinky about Clara. And we get <laughs> a, a form of resolution to that in this episode, yeah. because yeah. since the doctor is trapped in this parallel world, where the TARDIS cannot go and stay for more than a few seconds or it will become disabled and die because entropy. (laughs) Clara has to almost bully the TARDIS into rescuing the doctor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the TARDIS, we get a a rare appearance of the TARDIS 
voice virtual interface system and it takes the form of Clara in order to talk to her. <laughs> yes. Which is nice because Big she's never insult. seen that before. Yep. <laughs> and all of a sudden she's standing there transparently talking to her and the TARDIS is explaining why it can't go into the pocket universe to rescue the doctor. And Clara's like, I hear you talking, but all I hear you saying is meh, 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 meh. And she basically bullies the TARDIS into going to rescue the doctor. And that's what gets the TARDIS to trust her, is that she really does care about the doctor. Right. Yeah. And she's not a threat to him. She really is trying to rescue him and is willing to put herself in danger in order to save him. Now, well, there's there's, there's okay. a little mutual insults going on there, yeah. though, during this whole scene, because... Clara calls the TARDIS the grumpy old cow, <laughs> yes. and, and and the TARDIS says, "I've picked the the person you most esteem as the herself. visual interface." Yeah, herself. <laughs> Out of the like, millions oh, of people in my cow. database, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was. So good. I think I like there's that. a mutual dislike there that got overcome at that yeah. point. Yeah, they've 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 uh, agreed to a detente at, by the end. Uh, now, one of the cool things is the doctor's got this hunch that the time traveler is stuck in time throughout the life cycle of the Earth. And so he takes Clara. They travel through the entire life cycle of Earth, hopping. It's got to be more than a few million, every few million years. He would have run out of film long before that because he grabbed yeah. Palmer's camera. Uh, but over he's, a long... He's make, making a slideshow of, of yeah. the appearances of the ghost over the Earth's history. Right. Yep. And so it, the one spot over the entire history of the Earth, which is kind of really kind of cool, uh, yeah. right to the end of the Earth's history. And Clara is really moved by this. She is uh, she is really emotionally affected by this. I've seen the Earth born, live and die. And uh, she says uh, she has and, this and realization. And, and, and apparently our understanding of uh, the formation of the solar system is wrong because the doctor says we're about 6 billion years in the past, but modern science says the Earth is only 4.5 billion years old. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> made a mistake in the BBC. Uh, so, uh, But she says this, this to the doctor, she says this realization, we're all ghosts to you. I'm dead out there. She means like outside the TARDIS, wherever, mm -hmm. you know, on Earth. But I'm standing here talking to you. And, you know, we're, we're nothing to you, she says. And he says, no, you're the only mystery worth solving and it, I, i'm not sure whether he's i think maybe he's saying both humanity but also clara herself yeah, yeah. is a it's mystery worth solving it's yeah. deliberately ambiguous yeah so that was kind of a cool moment for, uh for for clara there although we know eventually clara is probably not out there she's out well she's dead but not dead so who knows she, she's in between We're, her last heartbeats yeah, somewhere still. out in the universe yeah um there is another cool moment where uh, Emma has this line. She says, um, not everything ends, not love, not not always, uh, which is a kind of nice moment because tr it's true. Love, God is love and love never ends and God never ends. And so th that's true. Other things will end, but love will never end. Love, truth, justice, those things will never end. So that is a kind of a, a moment of truth in Doctor Who. And they pay that off in a way because so early on they established that in order for the ghost to manifest, there needs to be the presence of a powerful psychic because the psychic can reach across the gulf between our universe and the pocket universe that the ghost is trapped in. And, um, and so Emma Grayling is able to do that. And so she's able to summon manifestations of the ghost. 
but I'm going, excuse me, the doctor is a powerful psychic. <laughs> yes. He, I mean, Gall- Gallifreyans are telepaths and, and he can download large quantities of information into someone's head with a simple headbutt. Yeah. Yep. Why can't he manifest the ghost? Why can't, why is immigrating needed? And eventually it's implied that it's because the future time traveler, Hilla Tikorian, from several centuries in the future, is a descendant mm-hmm. of Emma Grayling and presumably Major Alec Palmer once they finally yeah. get busy, <laughs> uh, to quote the Incredibles. Yes. And so, so she does have a special connection that the Doctor wouldn't have with uh, Hilla Tikorian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, presumably even they might like move. They would you know raise their family in that house, which is what would make that that location mm-hmm. the connection, uh, that psychic right. connection. And it's a four hundred year old house. They could she Hilla could have grown up in that house a few centuries from now. Yeah, yep. exactly, exactly. So um, they the doctor sets up a, what he calls a psychochronograph as a sort of amplifier for Emma's psychic power, yeah. and uses a piece <laughs> of the Eye of Harmony. Uh, to, L- it, Oh, well, it's more than that, but also the psychochronograph. That's nonsense <laughs> technobabble. Well, yeah. <laughs> psycho and psycho and chrono make sense here, but graph, what is it measuring? Where's the readout? This is not a this is this is this is like a psychochrono aperture or something. Yeah. Psychochrono mm-hmm. like graph sounds cool. Graph sounds yeah. cool. But the so the 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 even though he says it's a subset of the eye of harmony which does or doesn't make sense, depending on what you stress about what they've said about the Eye of Harmony in the past. It's uh-huh. The Eye of Harmony basically is the power source for the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And it is sometimes, descri- it is frequently described as a black hole. Sometimes it's described as being on Gallifrey, sometimes in which case it has a kind of broadcast power, but it's also depicted as being on the TARDIS itself. So maybe it's both, you mm. know, um, but if it's a black hole, it wouldn't have crystals as part of it. Right. This yep. this crystal is a blue crystal from the planet Metabilis 3. Mm-hmm. And that will be very meaningful to Father Corey, not so much for yes. Dom yet because he hasn't encountered it. But uh, Father Corey, we, you want to tell us about, about blue crystals from Metabilis 3? Well, did we talk about uh, Planet of Spiders? Oh, well, maybe we did as oh, early on as our regenerations. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. They're doctors. So the, it's not just in Planet of the Spiders, though. We have other references to blue crystals coming from, at least one other reference right. to blue crystals coming from Metabilis 3 in the third doctor's time. Yeah. Okay. And so, so the, this is a callback to the third doctor, as is the 1970s setting. That's true. Right. That's true. Yeah. The, presumably the third doctor is running around there somewhere uh, in England. Yeah. Well, that, that was kind of one of my questions. Why didn't they mention, why did the doctor do the ministry instead of unit or something like that? But I think they didn't have necessarily clearance for talking about unit in this period. I forget. That could be. That could be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah I the, think the, these... that unit only comes back with the 12th doctor and Clara. We yeah. have um, Lethbridge Stewart's daughter. Daughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the doctor jumps through the wormhole, grabs Hela gets her back, but then the, the it closes on him before he can get through. And the TARDIS starts ringing the cloister bell because the yeah. doctor is mm-hmm. stranded. It's you know, an emergency. So it's interesting that the doctor has this, real, has this moment as he's running around in this pocket universe 
Which, which is depicted as a forest, and I couldn't. Yeah. And there's there's a there's like a pond there, and I couldn't help thinking the wood between the worlds. <laughs> yes, mm. it's a very uh, Lewis. Uh, the he kind of calls the creature like the boogeyman under the bed, trying to make him afraid, and and he admits being afraid. But the the story undoes that. That isn't actually yeah. what the creature is doing, right? Yeah, no. The it, well, he correctly deduces that the reason he hasn't been eaten by the monster is, which is, it, it it's a little hard to describe visually. It's called the Crooked Man in mm. some of the credits. And it looks like a weirdly disfigured human that is low to the ground. It's sort of mummified um, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And grayish. And and it looks kind of, if you've ever seen the series Falling Skies, it looks kind of like a skitter. Oh, Which is oh, a yeah. kind of a. Yeah, I forgot about that yeah. connection. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of low to the ground. It's got its legs splayed out unnaturally. It may have more than two legs. But it we don't get good looks at it. Because they use these jerky camera cuts whenever mm -hmm. we see it. We either see it very briefly, and we've seen it in the house in our world, but we also see it in the woods in the pocket universe. And whenever it's moving around, we only get brief jerky cuts of it. Even when it's like right up in the doctor's face, we have this very tightly edited series of cuts that are rapid until the end. We yeah. just realized it's actually not a threat. It's just trying to be reunited with its love monster over in our universe. <laughs> and at that point, the camera stabilizes and we don't have the jump cuts. And instead, he gets a look at its head, which is sort of shaped like a human head, but is missing a bunch of features and is yeah. asymmetrical. Kind of snookish. <laughs> uh-huh. It, kind of... <laughs> it is kind of like Snoke, only, yeah. only less defined. Yeah. Uh, and he says, oh, you Romeo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like the directing. I I normally don't think, I, some people think a lot about direction and camera angles. I think much more about dialogue and plot. Yeah. But mm -hmm. here, the I really liked the directing where we have, as long as it's perceived as a threat, we get the jumpy camera cuts. Right. But then once it's not, oh, we we don't, the camera is no longer treating it as a threat for the audience. It's sort of a classic new who trope, isn't it? This idea of, you know, the something is a monster based on our perception of it, you know, what it looks like sometimes or lack of knowledge of its motives or and then mm -hmm. once it becomes known, it's less scary. Well, not just new who. I mean, the third doctor would constantly yell at the brigadier about that kind of Th stuff. That's true. That's right. true. Like uh, with the uh, Silurians. Silurians. keeps want to say sleep stacks. Silurians. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The uh, yeah, that was a a, a big uh, version of that one. So, um, and that's where we come to the end. We already talked about how the doctor went back for the creatures to, to bring the creature to its mate. Although, are they leaving them here? No, no, presumably. Yes, yeah. They're apparently. I mean, we don't. I, I, it's interesting the timing of how the ending plays because we we know what the doctor's gonna do. He's gonna go there and rescue it. And so he has Emma open the door and let him into the woods again. And then he, he finds the monster and he's like saying, okay, here it comes, grab on. And the way he got out of the pocket universe the first time, because the TARDIS cannot survive there for more than a few seconds, was Clara and the TARDIS 
rapidly flew through the woods and he grabbed onto the outside of the TARDIS and then they came back to our universe. And so he's going to do that now with the monster. Yeah. And so he, as the TARDIS is swinging towards him, he tells the monster, okay, grab on. And then whoosh, the TARDIS comes by and we have a black screen. Yep. So apparently he's brought the boy monster to our universe to be with the girl monster. And as he says, it's not a horror story. It's a love story. It's boy monster meets girl monster gets <sighs> their stars are not aligned and they get separated and get back together. So Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> boy monster, girl monster romance. Hopefully he takes them someplace where they can live in peace and not wander around in the British forest having baby monsters that scare the people. <laughs> All right. So, and that's the end. Any other notes, Father Corey? So there just one, one scene I kind of got a chuckle of uh, where Emma and, and Clara are talking and, you know, Clara gives uh, Emma a glass of whiskey yeah. and would said would rather have tea or I can't remember or what it was that they, she'd rather have. But she, uh, Emma says, Whiskey's the 11th most disgusting thing ever invented. And all I can say is, no, wrong. A great, a good glass of whiskey is <laughs> Yes, one of the awesome. greatest things. <laughs> one of the greatest pleasures of yeah. life. Clara says that. And oh, Clara, yeah. I, I wonder what she thinks the top 10 are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> However, her sentiment is widely shared. I'm not. Oh, I know. Most of the whiskey I've ever had is like, why would why would anyone? Mm-hmm. It's, it's an acquired Enjoy taste. that. Yeah, it's an acquired <laughs> taste. Acquired. Jimmy, any final notes? So it, this is an interesting, you know, the country manor stories are frequently a, a ki- another kind of base under siege. Mm. And that's essentially what we have here. But this is almost a bottle show. I mean, it doesn't occur on the TARDIS, but it basically all occurs on one set with namely the manor with some detours into the forest, which could be mm. around the manor. Mm. And it's got a really small cast. Yeah, it's just the doctor and Clara, the only other characters other than the monster. But the only other characters that have any that have screen time are uh, the major and Emma Grayling, the psychic. It's just the just this these four people. And well, it's still, and Hila. Oh, the, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, traveler. you're right. Yeah. Hila, the time traveler, is yeah. also there. So, but it's still this really small cast, and it's a it's a nice story. I did not remember much about it from when I'd watched it years ago. I remember mm-hmm. liking it okay. I remember liking the 70s, you know, setting of it. But I really liked it a lot more this time. I thought it yeah. was yeah. very effective. There was a lot of nice little things that they did to create the creepy atmosphere that you want in a haunted house story. Uh, we mentioned, for example, I really like the help me that appears and disappears on the wall as you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Also, as they're getting ready to use the weird device to open the doorway, like the clocks start running backwards and mm-hmm. things like that, which doesn't really make sense, but it's really cool and creepy. And I just uh, I just in, enjoyed this a lot. I liked it a lot more this t- this time through, I think mostly because I knew, already knew it wasn't a ghost story, really. Uh, so I wasn't as creeped out and scared. Well, I I figured, I mean, they're never going to have a literal dead person's ghost on Doctor Who. It's always going to be a data ghost or a time traveler or something. But what I liked about it is how the Doctor, I mean, there's always going to be some kind of naturalistic Scooby-Doo explanation. Mm -hmm. Psychic powers is as far as they go on Doctor Who. Beyond that, they don't don't go into the supernatural. Yeah, or aliens, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And and so it's there's always going to be some kind of Scooby-Doo ending where it's not an actual ghost. But I liked how the doctor didn't do any advanced preaching on that mm-hmm. point. If you don't know any other episode of the show, I mean, the doctor's taking the ghost, the idea it's a ghost, entirely seriously. Right. He's right. not poo-pooing it at all. Um, now, he does find an alternative explanation, which is good. That's what parapsychologists do. They consider the range of what could explain this phenomena and don't just assume it's a ghost. They're open to it being a ghost, but they're also open to it being something else. And the doctor was behaving in that way very believably uh, from a psychic paranormal investigation point of view, but also he wasn't preaching at us. And he was open to this experience. And I just like that. I like it when the doctor is not a know-it-all, where he's not trying to debunk stuff. And he's open to more possibilities than uh, a typical secular Westerner would be. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And I agree that this was, this was a fun one. This was, this was good. Absolutely. All right. I think that should do it for this time. Uh, As we wrap up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Rachel T, Angie N, Elizabeth M, Matthew M, and Dion. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of the 11th Doctor story, Hide? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Modern Undead, a fifth Doctor story. Ooh, Brigadier comes back. Nice. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, you are the only mystery worth solving. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.